This week on Sexually Woke with me, Dr. Susan, I'm talking about the problems with hormone pellets and all of the bad stuff that could happen if you're not managed properly. Hey, and thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Sexually Woke. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the problems that can happen with hormone pellets, because I'm always talking about hormone pellets in really optimistic and fantastic terms, because they truly have been life-changing for me and thousands of my patients. But without a doubt, there's a downside to everything. And I think it's really worth presenting a balanced approach so that everybody knows what can happen if hormone pellets are not managed correctly, and even sometimes if they are, so that you can make an informed decision. Because I can tell you, if you look online, and I've done this, there's some really awful stuff about hormone pellets, and some of it is true and some of it isn't, but a lot of it is just because of what I'll just call mismanagement. And a lot of those things could be avoided if you're educated enough to know what to ask when you go in to see your hormone pellet provider. So I'm going to divide these, I'll just call them problems, into several categories. And one of them is dosing issues. So dosing issues could be, and this is the main one for sure, that the dosing is too high. And that causes all kinds of side effects. And then also sometimes dosing interval issues if they're given too often or not often enough. So we'll talk about dosing issues. That's number one. And then I want to talk about local issues in the pellet insertion site. And those could be things like infection, which is very rare, but it does happen, scarring, and then things like hematomas, which is like a big bruise underneath the surface of the tissue or swelling or pain. So local issues related to where the pellet's placed. So that's kind of the second category. And then the third category is extrusion, which is a fancy name for when the pellet can actually come out. And yes, that can actually happen. So we'll talk about dosing issues, local issues, and then pellet extrusion. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Okay. So this happens to me all the time. I'll be seeing a patient for the first time and they'll come in and they'll say, Hey, I really want to balance my hormones, but do not, do not give me those hormone pellets. I had them last year, last month with Dr. Somebody else and it was horrible. And they'll tell me a list of all the terrible things that happened. So I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. I'm not doing a hormone pellet again. It was the worst thing that ever happened. And that happens quite a bit. And almost without exception, I was going to say without exception, but almost without exception, that is because of dosing issues, because the patient was given too much. And I will politely say uh, something like, No, I totally respect your opinion. There's, of course, other ways to get hormones in your system, but may I get a copy of your records because I suspect that you were given the wrong dose. And almost without exception, like I said, a patient got way too much. Like her her levels were off the chart, way too high. And of course, too much of a good thing is not a good thing. I often talk about pellets are like salt. You got to have some, but too much ruins your food, right? It's you know, too much is terrible, not enough. We feel terrible. We've got to have our hormones in a very narrow window or we don't feel good. So let's talk about the dosing too high issue because that's that's the main culprit. Um, if you talk to a hundred patients who didn't like their pellets, and it'd be hard to find a hundred because probably I would say at least 95% of our patients are extremely happy. But out of the people who are unhappy, the great majority of them, probably 90% of them got stuck in this dose too high situation. So why does this happen? Well, 
One reason is that a lot of providers, unfortunately, treat patients with a cookie cutter, kind of one size fits all type of mentality. And there's actually a little app that providers are given that helps us to calculate the dose of hormones that you should get in your pellet. And I never give that dose, especially the first time. I never give that dose the first time because there's a subset of patients, and it's actually quite large, who are very sensitive to hormones or everything. And I'm one of them. I'm redheaded. I'm sensitive to everything. So if I gave myself the dose that was recommended, I would feel terrible. And I'm on a much lower dose than is recommended. And so I think it's very wise. I think it's uh, imperative, actually, that providers give a lower dose the first time because we do not know how you're going to respond. And if you're in that pretty large group of patients who have a very sensitive response to the hormones, you are going to have side effects if you get the dose that is quote unquote recommended. So always ask your provider if they would please take the recommended dose and drop it down the first time. And we're going to find out if it's the right dose for you because we check your hormones about six weeks after the pellets are placed. And we'll see if we've got to that window. First of all, we'll see if you feel good. That's most important. And secondly, to see if your blood work shows that your labs are within the window that we're looking for. And now we also have to take that a little bit with a grain of salt because let's just back up for a second and remember that for women with hormone pellets, we're talking about estradiol, bioidentical estrogen the main estrogen that we produce from our ovaries is called estradiol, and testosterone, bioidentical testosterone. Now for men, it would just be testosterone. But let's talk about estradiol. What is the ideal number to get on your lab? Well, that's a really good question. And there really isn't one. Nobody's ever determined what the perfect number is. Uh, The common answer is we want you to get enough estradiol for your symptoms to go away. And those would be things like hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness. Now, we don't need very much to make those symptoms go away, but we also want to give you enough to be able to make sure your bones are protected so you get the osteoporosis prevention, Alzheimer's prevention, colon cancer prevention, all the good stuff that we know estrogen does for us. So we don't need very much, but we do need enough. And so kind of a ballpark figure. And the numbers might not mean anything to you, but you can write these down and take them to your provider. I'm always looking for a number somewhere between about 40 and 80. What I find is when patients fall below 40, they usually get symptomatic. I do with hot flashes, night sweats. I will literally wake up with hot flashes the day my estrogen drops below 40. Super sensitive to that. Now, if it gets over 80 or for some patients, 100 or so, we start having symptoms of it being too high. And this is where patients really don't like it. And I wouldn't either. We can get breast tenderness, water retention, weight gain, increased fat around the middle. If we have a uterus, we can even start bleeding. And the best thing about menopause is that we're not having periods. So we do not want to be bleeding with hormone pellets. So too much estrogen, not a good thing. So we want it to be around 40 to 80. Now, if we gave you the dose that was calculated for you on this little application that we use, very likely, maybe 10 to 20% of patients are going to get too high. My personal belief is that that app needs to be changed. I think it's over-aggressive. We have extraordinarily low side effects in my practice because we drop the dose down and most of our patients end up in that 40 to 80 range and very few get higher. If they do get higher, 
And that's about 5%. I always tell my patients is about 5% chance the first time that you might have some temporary breast tenderness, even some spotting, but it will go away. Usually those symptoms only last for two to four weeks. Now I can imagine if you've been given a higher dose I and mean, it can last a lot longer, it's miserable. I actually had this happen once myself when I got too much estrogen in a pellet that I had given myself. I had breast tenderness that went on for about three weeks. It, you know, it's not life-threatening, but it was miserable. My shirts wouldn't button. I went up about two bra sizes. I felt about five pounds heavier. It's just water retention. So it was temporary, but really uncomfortable. Didn't want to touch my breast. Like you feel in the first few weeks of pregnancy, it is, it's not a pleasant feeling. So we do not want to do that. So How do we avoid doing that? Well, we just drop it down the first time. And then when we check your levels in six weeks, you know, if if I screwed up and didn't give you enough and your level came back at 20, it's really easy to give you a little bit more. But as you know, these pellets last for three to four months. So if you have too much, you might be stuck with an unpleasant side effect for a few months. And that is not acceptable to me. We're trying to make people feel better here. So I do not want anybody, including me or any of my patients, to have any unpleasant side effects at all. But for goodness sake, not lasting for three to four months. That's terrible. There's another thing that happens regarding dosing that we call a stacking effect, which is that when you get pellets over and over again, if you get the same dose over and over again, your your levels can slowly rise because if you start it out at zero with your first pellet, it's not going to be zero with your second pellet. So you're going to have a little bit of the old pellet still hanging around. And now you add on the next one, And you can see how those levels go up. So what happens sometimes is patients will say, I felt great the first pellet round or two. And then I started having all these side effects. And that's because your levels crept up and somebody isn't drawing your blood to check that. And they may not be actually listening to you when you call and complain about the side effects. So you've got to have a provider who listens closely to you. We take the stacking effect into account. In my practice, you do not get the same dose each time. If you feel wonderful and we've got your levels perfect, I am not going to give you the same dose the second time because then it's going to go up. So there's all kinds of little tricks that we do. Often we even skip the estrogen every second or third pellet because having too much estrogen feels horrible and we don't want to do that to anybody. Worst case scenario, if you start having some hot flushes, you can use a patch or a cream or something for a little while. But we do all kinds of things in my practice to ensure that your levels don't get too high. Rest assured, a lot of people are walking around with levels that are too high because their doctor's not doing those things. And those are the ones who are not happy and I wouldn't be either. So we talked about estrogen being too high. Now, what about when testosterone gets too high? Uh, Now, this is an interesting thing. So when we're using testosterone in postmenopausal or perimenopausal women for all of the wonderful things that it does, and I have a testosterone pellet in my bottom and I will continue to do so as long as I can. Benefits are amazing. Libido, muscle conservation, strength, general sense of optimism, motivation, sleep improvement. We even see a decrease in breast cancer, improving bone density, so many health benefits. But we are actually intentionally using what are called supra or high, supra physiologic, higher than normal levels of testosterone. So with a testosterone pellet, we intentionally try to get your testosterone level up higher than a woman's testosterone usually is, even a young woman. So some doctors tell you, we're just trying to replace your testosterone and make it back to how when you were 30. Well, that is not actually true. We're actually trying to make it higher than it's ever been before. Because as we get older, we need those things more. I mean, a lot of women who are in their 20s can have a fantastic libido with a testosterone of almost zero because they're on birth control pills. 
But as we get older, we need more help. So we are intentionally elevating testosterone to supra-physiologic levels. That means higher than happens in nature. And so there's a very small window. You've got to be incredibly careful because if we cross that line, then we're going to get into side effects. And those are obvious things like acne, oily skin, hair growth on the face in a male pattern, hair loss, sometimes in extreme cases, even clitoral enlargement. And the biggest complaint with testosterone being too high is weight gain. And this is ironic because I give it and I believe it works because it worked for me and thousands of my patients to help with weight loss. And the way, the way that it does that is that it improves muscle mass. So with higher muscle mass, we have a higher basal metabolic rate. So we burn more calories. We start flipping that switch so that we're burning fat, gaining muscle, losing fat, all of that good stuff. But once we cross a certain line, we actually start gaining fat with testosterone. So I have had patients, let's just say they came and saw me and said, look, I gained a significant amount of weight, like 10, 15 pounds. I felt great but I gained weight and now it wasn't water. The doctor kept telling me it's just water. You just need a diuretic. It's not water if you gain 10 or 15 pounds. Goodness me, I hope not. That would be a different serious problem. But sometimes we get a little bit of water weight, like a pound or two uh, when we start on hormones. But if we're gaining 10 or 15 pounds, unless we're um, you know, really hitting it at the gym and gaining tons of muscle, we actually are gaining fat and very high testosterone levels can do that. So we've got to be really careful. I personally don't like levels, you know, over 200. Some people do, but I find when levels get over 200 and just keeping those numbers in mind, mine was zero when I started. Now I like it around 150. The pellet uh, powers that be suggest that 150 to 250 is a good range. I don't like those high numbers. I think once we get up to 250, we start running the risk of hitting some of those side effects. So we want to stay on the lower end of that. Unless you're someone who's got lots of experience and you know you feel great at 250, and I have a lot of patients who do, and they say, I, I really like it. I feel great at 250. Please don't drop me down. So we listen to you. But if you're someone who has, like me, very sensitive, redheaded, we need to start a little bit lower. And then we need to listen to you, and we need to adjust your dose, not based on the piece of paper, but based on what you're telling me. And that's so important because... There's nothing wrong with nurse practitioners. I have two fantastic nurse practitioners who do most of our pellets, but they're trained to listen. They're not just going to put a pellet in and follow the cookbook and give you what you got last time. They're going to listen to you. And every single time you come in for a pellet, we go through a whole list of how you're doing, side effects, and we carefully calculate what the next pellet dose should be. Yes, a lot of bad stuff can happen when you're given too much estrogen or testosterone. And a lot of wonderful things happen when you're given the right dose, which include not only feeling better in all the ways we've talked about so many times, but tons of absolutely unarguable proven health benefits for our older self. And I don't want Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, colon cancer, breast cancer, heart disease, all of those things. And we can absolutely reduce the risk by using these hormones in a responsible manner. So you can avoid those side effects. Now, that being said, in my practice, we get those side effects too. Sometimes I tell patients there's about 5% chance, but we can manage each one of them. So the next thing I'll go on to regarding too high problems or what, what can we do about these things? What if you get into a situation where you do have breast tenderness or you're bleeding or you've got some acne? Don't worry, we can deal with it. First of all, we're going to drop your pellet dose down next time. Now you cannot take it out. 
It's going to wear off, so don't panic. It's not going to last forever. And all of those symptoms can be individually dealt with. So breast tenderness can be dealt with. We use local progesterone cream, for example. Bleeding can be dealt with. We, you know, we can't decrease the estrogen once it's already in your system, but we can increase the progesterone for testosterone-related symptoms. There are other things that we can do to help with those while your pellet is wearing off. So we'll get you feeling better. And then we will not give you the same dose again. We'll drop it down because we learned that you are very sensitive, right? So don't panic. All of those things can be dealt with. So we talked about dosing too high for you. I always say for you, because like I said, I feel great with my estrogen at 40, my testosterone 150. I have other patients who don't feel great. They need their estrogen to be 60 or 80, and they like their testosterone to be at 250. So the paper is useful, but the most important indicator of the right dose for you is how you feel. And then when we get you feeling great, I want to see what the numbers are when you're feeling great. So rather than doing it through the back door and saying, we want your numbers to be X and Y, I wait till you feel good. And then I measure your labs. And now I say, I want your numbers to be this X and Y, whatever they are for you. So I know my numbers and we teach you your numbers. And then we try to keep your numbers the same. Does that make sense? So we're not trying to make everybody the same. We're trying to find out where you feel good and then make sure we try to keep your estrogen and testosterone in that range. Some of my patients want it really high. Others like me don't. And we listen to you and we make sure that that happens. So we talked about the stacking effect. Oh my goodness, if someone's giving you the same dose over and over again, please go somewhere else or tell them don't do that anymore because your do- your level will go up and you'll be the patient who comes to see me and says, I don't know what happened. I felt fantastic for three or four pellet cycles. And then all of a sudden, all the shit hit the fan and I just felt terrible. That's because of this stacking effect. Another dosing thing that can happen is dosing interval issues. So if if a provider says, okay, everybody gets women, we're talking about women at the moment, everybody gets their pellet every three and a half months, period, every 14 weeks. That is not going to work for everybody because we metabolize things differently. And one of the main things that indicates how we metabolize things is how much exercise we get. So a very important interview question is around your exercise level. So if you're super active like me and you're doing you know, an hour or so of exercise every day, you're going to burn through them faster. So for me, my pellets don't last 14 weeks. I'm very lucky if they last 12 weeks. Mine are sort of 10 to 12 weeks, especially if I'm training for a race or something like that. Now, if you're a couch potato, they might last 16 weeks. So if everybody gets dosed at the 14-week interval, a lot of patients are going to feel terrible. Like me, mine, mine would be completely gone. I'd be having hot flashes and feeling miserable. On the other hand, if we dosed a patient who was a couch potato every three and a half months, she would really be experiencing that stacking effect and her levels would go up. So dosing interval issues, that's another problem. So got to find a provider who listens to you. Now, I don't have a magic wand. I don't have a crystal ball. Just say I give you your palate the first time. We've talked. You have an average exercise level. I'm going to say, okay, let's do it again in 14 weeks. That's the standard, three and a half months. Well, then what if you call me week 13 and say, I feel terrible. I'm having hot flashes. First of all, I'm going to say, well, come in right now. If we can get you in, let's come in, get your pellet a week earlier than planned. And let's plan next time to do it at 13 weeks instead of 14. So everybody's going to have a unique dosing interval. Now, that being said, most people are 14 weeks because that's just how it works. But a lot of people are 12 weeks. A lot of people are 13. Some people are 16. So dosing interval issues is another big 
factor. So you've got to, if you don't feel like your provider is getting all of this, you owe it to yourself to find another one because this is not cookie cutter. It's not. And all of the problems, all of them happen because doctors are not treating patients individually and giving doses that work for you. Might not be the same dose as your friend, a dose that is right for you. Okay. So those are all my thoughts about dosing issues with pellets and all of the things that can happen. Let's move on to local issues regarding where the pellet is placed. And so if you've never had a hormone pellet, the way that it works is we put a little bit of local anesthetic in the jeans pocket area of your bottom, where we all have some fat, using a needle, which is the same size as a Botox needle, a 30 gauge needle, teeny tiny needle, some local anesthetic, and then some local anesthetics placed into the fat about three inches long, where a little channel is created with a hollow needle and the pellets placed into that channel. And so the incision itself is tiny. It's about three millimeters, which is teeny, like the size of a grain of rice. It heals in 48 hours. I don't even see mine. I can't find them half the time when I'm trying to go through them again. I actually do my own pellets. That's a whole nother story, but they're so difficult to see because they heal perfectly if you have uh, skin that heals well, and I'm blessed to have skin that heals well. So tiny, tiny incision. Now, that being said, not everybody has skin like mine that heals really well. Uh, Women who have some more pigment in their skin sometimes can get a little keloid there. Sometimes even we can get an infection. Now, that's extraordinarily unlikely. I've actually never seen a female pellet site infection and thousands and thousands of pellet placements, but it is reported. More common in men. Uh, The reason is that even though the incision is the same size now with this uh, new type of pellet placement that we do using smaller pellets for men, which I prefer vastly over the old way, which is the way it was done sort of a year or two and more ago with a bigger incision, bigger pellets. Now we're using smaller pellets for men so we can use the same size incision, but they're actually placed into three different tracks in the bottom instead of just one. So there's just a larger area of tissue trauma for guys because say, for example, I get a hundred milligrams of testosterone. A man who is say 200 pounds might get 1600 milligrams. I mean, totally different dosing. So he's getting 16 of these pellets where I just get one. So there's just more tissue trauma, more risk of infection. And even so the risk of infection for men is way less than 1%. We hardly ever see it. Uh, But sometimes these local issues do occur and they're all preventable. Well, they're not preventable because I get them (laughs) occasionally. We use a very sterile technique, and I even give our guys a couple of days of antibiotics. So they may not be preventable, but they're certainly curable. As soon as uh, the problem's noticed, some antibiotics, everything goes away. Now, sometimes when this uh, introducing needle's placed, it can cause some bleeding underneath the skin, and that can cause what's called a hematoma, which is just a big bruise underneath the skin, and it is painful. Now, it resolves on its own, but we don't want you to have pain in the area of the pellet for a month or two, which can sometimes happen with a hematoma. It's a miserable thing. It can sometimes happen. Luckily, uh, fat doesn't have any big blood vessels in it. It just has these little capillaries, which are tiny little vessels, but occasionally one will ooze underneath the skin. We can't see any bleeding coming out. So it's something that's happening without us being able to notice until we see everything turn black and blue. That's only ever happened to me once. So it's very rare. We always put ice on, especially for the guys. But yeah, can it happen? Yes. Uh, Will it kill you? No. Will it be painful for a couple of months? Yes. It's annoying. I've seen uh, guys with a like a golf ball size lump that takes a couple of months to go away. I only had one 
an appellate patient of my own, but I've certainly seen patients come from elsewhere. It does, it happens and it's very, very rare and it goes away. So it's not the end of the world, but it, it's certainly something to be aware of. So especially again, for guys, swelling, just some discomfort with the whole process of the tissue trauma from placing the pellets, it can hurt for a couple of weeks. Now it doesn't usually, usually it's just a couple of days, but you know, these things can happen. So you, we need to know about them. So the local issues are all minor. They're um, things that go away very quickly. Again, this is way less than 1% of patients. The average pellet patient, someone like me, I get my pellet placed. I go to the gym the same day. I don't even notice it. I can't feel it. I don't. I forget that it even happened. And within 48 hours, the whole thing's healed. That is a very typical story. Like it was no big deal. I didn't even notice it. That's the most common description of a pellet placement. But you know, there are occasional situations where it's a little more annoying and that happens, but it always goes away. So that was just a little nod to some of the local issues that can sometimes occur. The last thing I want to talk about is this issue of pellet extrusion, which is where the pellet or pellets can actually come out. And it's extraordinarily rare, but it does happen. I've actually only seen it three times, and my we and my practice have seen it three times, uh, which isn't very many, uh, giving it a percentage rate of about one in a thousand. And some practices they quote a little bit higher, but it's something of that magnitude. What happens is, you know, the pellet is a foreign body. It's absolutely inert. There's nothing in it except stearic acid and the bioidentical hormone. So we don't have an allergy to it, so to speak, but somebody's immune system might be very active and some people's bodies just are very good at recognizing foreign bodies and wanting them to be pushed out. And so similar to how some patients can uh, spit out their sutures when they have surgery, you know, our bodies have this incredible intelligence, or if you have a splinter under your finger, it'll just pop out. Our bodies just push it out. Um, And even though that's very rare because this stuff is pretty inert, when someone extrudes a pellet, they usually are someone who's going to extrude a pellet repetitively. That is something about their body. So if you have had that happen once, and the way it presents usually is you just get a little, looks like a little pimple at the incision site. You see a little bump. And what that actually is, is the end of the pellet. So when a patient comes in and says, I got this weird little bump, and it's usually a few weeks or even months after the pellet placement. It's not immediately. It's you know six to eight weeks or sometimes even longer after the pellet placement. The patient will say, everything was fine. And then I got this little bump and we'll put some local anesthetic and just give a little poke and the pellet will pop out, which is interesting because it had actually previously been placed about three inches away and it had worked its way all the way back down that channel. It just shows how clever your body is. Uh, but that's very easy. Uh, once the pellet comes out, if we know that a patient is an extruder. We Now we're going to call you an extruder if you've extruded a pellet. Uh, it's quite easy. Next time we place the pellet, we put a little bit of steroid in the local anesthetic, um, and that seems to eradicate the problem. There's actually some uh, pellet manufacturers that put a steroid in the pellet itself, which is not a bad idea. Uh, BioT, the pellets that I use, we don't put the steroids in the pellet right now, but hey, I think it's not a bad idea. The point is that a tiny, tiny, very, very, very low dose of a steroid called triamcin alone just reduces or gets rid of that whole inflammatory immune process so that the pellet won't be extruded. So if you've had that happen, it doesn't mean you can't get another one. It just means that it should be addressed differently. Yeah, that's a really unusual problem. It's a weird thing when the pellet comes out. Um, I've never seen more than one come out. In fact, like I said, I've only seen it happen three times, but certainly seen lots of videos and talked to friends and you know people who've seen it more frequently. 
But will it happen to you? Probably not. Pretty darn unlikely. And again, if it does happen, we can solve it. So it's not something I would lose any sleep over. So that is my rundown of problems that can occur with pellets. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast and found it useful. If so, I would be honored if you would write a review, share it with others so we can get the message out about hormone replacement and midlife wellness. And I will look forward to talking to you next week. 